0: Welcome to Journey South Bay. Thank you for inviting us in to listen to God's word. Take a moment to get comfortable, sit back, and relax as we listen to today's
1: message. I don't think. Good morning. My name is Christina. Please uh, join me if you're able to, and stand for the reading of God's word. When Jesus woke from his sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but who knew her not until she had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. You may be seated.
0: We've been going through uh, the early chapters of the Gospel of Matthew to look at this idea of uh, Advent and what is the meaning of Jesus' birth, And you know, Christmas is properly associated with a gift, because that's what Matthew gives us here. It's it's fascinating here, right, that that it says the birth of Jesus, but there's actually no description of actually Jesus being born here in this text. It just talks about uh, the meaning of His birth, because the meaning of His birth gives us a gift. And really, the description and the understanding of the nature of that gift comes in verses 21 through 23 when it says, you shall give him the name Jesus, because he will save people from their sins. And all of this was to fulfill the prophet when Matthew quotes Isaiah and says that he shall be Emmanuel, God with us. And in that little section, you've got the entire message of Christmas in a nutshell. You've got the gift in a little package there that it says that it is, Christmas is God coming to be with us for one purpose, to save us from our sins. You've got the nature of Christmas and the purpose of Christmas found in that little section. And what I wanna do with you this morning, as we're moving through the understanding of Advent and all of this coming together, is just unpack that, to unpack that gift with you. Because the gift sort of has three little gifts in it. What does it mean for God to be with us and to save us from our sins? It means three things. There's three clues in this text. It means power for our relationships, hope for our world, and freedom to live. First, power for our relationships. And the first thing that uh, God being with us teaches us is that we have incredible power for our relationships. Now, what do I mean? Well, look back in the text in verse 18. It just simply says this. Now, the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. Now, Matthew, as he uh, unfolds this, he talks about this sort of situation between Joseph and Mary, where Joseph finds out that Mary is pregnant while they're betrothed. Now, let me unpack that for us, because to be betrothed was a little bit different than being engaged in, the, in this culture. In our culture, if you're engaged to somebody, what it, what it means is that you're kind of off the market. Um, but if you're like desperately in love with somebody and you want one last ditched hope, it's not out of the world uh, thought of for you to go after somebody. But if you're also engaged with somebody, it's actually very common in our culture to either live with them or have a physical relationship with them. But in this culture, to be betrothed was almost the exact opposite of that. If you were betrothed to somebody, it means you were basically married except that you had no physical relationship with them. So they're betrothed to one another, and Mary is pregnant. Now, what is really scandalous about this is not even just that, that, the possibility that Mary and Joseph are, are going to have a baby and they're not quite married yet, but it's actually something even more dangerous. Uh, uh, Lynn Koheek, a uh, great scholar in the Gospel of Matthew, she says this, what is shocking is that Mary is pregnant and Joseph knows he is not the father. The problem is not that a betrothed couple had sex, but that presumably Mary had sex with another man that she committed adultery. I mean, imagine this situation because I've thought about this a couple times. Mary all of a sudden has all the feelings of being pregnant. They're betrothed and she has to tell Joseph this. And he he just had to have at one point said to her, look, I, I don't know what God said to you but yet, did you go out with somebody else? Like, what, you, you had to have had a relationship with, with somebody else. It had to be something like that. And there's this scandalous moment that begins at the beginning of the birth of Jesus. And Now, think about this. Why would you begin this way if you're Matthew? Like, if you've got a friend on the other side of the country who you want to recruit to work for your, your company and you want them to uh, move to California, I mean, you're not going to begin by saying, well, let me tell you about moving to California. Here is the situation with the taxes in the state. Like you're just not going, to, like, you're not going to bring that up. You're going to hopefully avoid that topic. You would definitely not lead with that. But wh- why does Matthew lead with this potentially adulterous relationship And this idea of a scandal in a marriage, it's because of this, because the reason God comes to enter into a scandal in a marriage is because that's exactly where He left us the first time. See, where sin enters the world is a moment between Adam and Eve where they're married, they're in a completely trusting relationship. They're in an open, vulnerable relationship. And what happens when they sin is that the first thing that it affects and the first thing where life breaks down is in the middle of the intimacy of a, of a man and a wife. And so what happens at Christmas and what happens with the birth of Jesus is for Jesus to come and enter in with a promise in the very same context with which he left, and that's in an intimate marriage. So he comes in the midst of a scandal to give us power for our relationships, to handle our scandals. I mean, you, know, you know how this works. Look at every possible relationship. There's a moment where trust breaks down. You know, w- where something happens and, and you you look at the other person and you're like, I wonder if they're telling the truth. I wonder if they're the honest one. Or are you the one who breaks it down and you say, Well, I can't tell her because she'll never forgive me. I mean what happened is that sin turned our hearts in such a way that we are prone not to trust one another. And the way we cope with that is we just play the blame game. You know, you did this. No, you did this. No, it's you. No, it's you. And we are always willing to sacrifice intimacy for the sake of self-protection, turning down every opportunity to build the relationship back, creating a vicious cycle of just blaming one another. And how do you get out of it? The only way to get out of it is for someone to finally say, okay, it's me. I'm the one who's willing to fall on the sword. I'm the one who's willing to enter into this because the only way for the brokenness of trust To be mended is for someone to be vulnerable and take their defenses down. It is a costly and risky act, but that's the power for real relationships. My family and I, we were watching this this silly Christmas movie with Will Ferrell and Mark Wahlberg. Um, I think Daddy's Home 2 is the the name of it. But in in the movie, um, Mark Wahlberg is a stepfather to this really problematic little girl who's uh, she's mischievous, she's disobedient, he can't have any kind of uh, parenting relationship with her. And she'll, she'll never even acknowledge his authority whatsoever. And at the end of the movie, he's had enough. He's about to explode, and um, there's this climactic moment where he says to her, I've been meaning to say this forever. And, and you, the audience, are prepared for him to just rant on her. And he looks at her and says, I love you. And her face is as stunning as the audience because you expect him to say the exact opposite. And he said, you know what? I've been meaning to say this for the longest time. And it breaks down her tension immediately and draws her in. And he said, the reason it took me so long to say that is that I was afraid to say that. I was afraid to be vulnerable because I was afraid you would reject me. And that's how relationships work. We are so afraid to be the vulnerable one because of rejection. Because what will somebody do if I take my defenses down, if I'm the one who doesn't punch back? But when you do that, that's the de-escalating way to move back into a broken relationship. And what you have at Christmas is God moving towards us in his vulnerability in a baby. Taking his defenses down, not coming to us and saying, listen, I've been meaning to go off on you for ages. But coming in the form of a baby in the manger to take himself down to us, to mend us. And you know what? There are moments in powerful relationship or intimate relationships where we know that vulnerability is the only way and it's a risky act. But if you take the risk and the other person doesn't handle it well, you regret it almost every single time. But what we have in the Christmas gospel is a God who took his defenses down to move towards a people who actually wouldn't receive it, who wouldn't accept it, and we rejected it. And he moves towards us anyway, because what the the Christmas gospel gives us, listen, is a God who will move towards us in vulnerability, no matter how we receive that. And that, friends, is an incredible power for relationships, Because if you want intimate relationships, if you want deep, powerful relationships, you've got to be willing to have a heart that will move towards people in vulnerability, taking your defenses down no matter how they will receive that. And that is Christmas in a nutshell. To give you power to to move through the superficiality. To no longer have those kind of relationships where someone asks you how you're doing and you just lie every time because you'd rather coexist than be honest. But in Christmas, you have this powerful moment of God opening himself up to us. N.T. Wright, he said it this way, how can you live with the terrifying thought that the hurricane has become the human, that the fire has become flesh, that life itself came to life and walked in our midst Christianity either means that or it means nothing. It is either the most, more devastating disclosure of the deepest reality in the world or it's a sham, a nonsense, a bit of deceitful play-acting. Most of us, unable to cope with saying either of those things, condemn ourselves to live in the shallow world in between. Look, what Christmas wants to do is move you into an intimacy in which you will never recover by giving you power for relationships through the vulnerability of a baby in a manger. But secondly, what does God being with us, coming to save us mean? It means hope for our world. What I mean by that? we'll look back in the text with me. In verses 18 and 20 and 23, you've got some of the most Difficult to understand and fathom teaching in all the New Testament. It says this, that she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. That is, Mary was conceived not just physically with a man, but by God himself. In verse 20, it says the same thing. That she is to be, uh, which is conceived in her, is from the Holy Spirit. And then he says it again as he quotes the prophet Isaiah in verse 23 Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son. And this teaching of the virgin birth is one of the most shocking, hard to understand, hard to fathom teachings of all of the New Testament. But as uh, I mean, it's been so problematic, I mean, the early part of the 20th century debates in the church of the modern fundamentalist debates one of the uh, sharp distinctions of where you stood on those debates and that part was how you understood this virgin birth. But if if you're one of those people this morning or your friends are with some of these people this morning that don't know how to take the virgin birth, let me me make two kind of quick comments to you. One, um, don't get blinded by chronological snobbery what I mean is this, there, there, there's, there's kind of a belief that people have sometimes that think, uh, well, this was an easy thing for ancient Near Eastern people to believe, but now we're a scientific age, we're way more intelligent, we have way more view of the world, way more understanding of things like this. No. I mean, l- the text tells us itself, Joseph had no way of believing this. In fact, that's why he wanted to quietly divorce his wife, because Believing that she was conceived by God was comical to him. He had to have said, there was another guy, right? He had a hard time believing this. Everybody's had a hard time believing this. So there's nothing more real and true in our day and age which makes this more implausible than it did for Joseph. But here's the other thing. Look, Christianity stands and lives on the claim that a Jewish man died on a cross and paid for all of your sin and paid for all of your guilt and paid for all of your shame and then three days later prove that to be true by walking out of a tomb. That's an astounding claim. And if you're going to be open to believing that claim, don't throw away the possibility of believing that over something like this because if you can take that you probably can come back and take this. But let's just say that you do take this, that you do believe this. What does it mean? Here's what the virgin birth means. You've got an incredible story or an incredible message on the meaning of the origin and the purpose of Jesus. See, if God is not the Father, and if Joseph is the Father, then this idea of God being with us is a sham. That it's not possible for it to be God born in a manger. Because if it's Joseph being the father, then he's just a good teacher. Then the best we can take of Jesus is that he was this thoughtful, interesting, inspiring teacher who talks about a way that we should live, but it's not the way to find life. You know what that means? That... Here's what that means. Wherever you are today on the spiritual spectrum and whatever Christmas does to you that draws out the meaning of life, that there's more to this world than just what I'm going after, it's a sham. That all all of the things that you hope are true and long for in this world, they're not real. If he was not born by a virgin. But here's the meaning of that—that we get. That's so profound out of this. When it says, "This is how the birth of Jesus Christ happened." The Greek word there for birth is the same word that we have in the Hebrew for the for the Hebrew word Genesis. So what Matthew is doing is he's essentially saying, "Here is the genesis of Jesus." Now, what's profound about that? If you go back to the beginning of the Bible, in Genesis chapter 1, when it says God made the world, it says there was darkness and the Spirit hovered over the waters. And then God spoke His Word and made creation. What Matthew is doing here is he is deliberately trying to get you to think about that. And to say, in the middle of darkness when nobody thought God would work, you have the Spirit hovering over the darkness with the power of the Word, recreating the world. What he's trying to say to us is that Christmas has not come just to have a spiritual moment for us. This, this, look, this, this, Christianity does not have this view of the world that we have a spiritual life and then we have a physical life. We've got a private life and then a public life. What Christmas says for us is that there is one mode of redemption in that it is God come into this world to renew every square inch of the creation to the point of the hymn that we just sang Far As the Curse is Found. Every square inch. Christmas has, has this beautiful physical implication that Jesus was born to remake every part of this world that you can't stand to live in. Look, do you, do you know that Christmas, look, when, when we look at things, I remember my parents used to say this. Look, let's find the real meaning of the season and they're trying to say it's more than these gifts. That's actually not True. Because what the gifts can be for us are physical, tangible signs of what the whole message is. Look, if you go to somebody in the next couple weeks whose life has been full of pain and darkness and flirting with depression and flirting with loneliness, and you give them a physical, tangible a sign of love and healing. You know what you're doing? You're giving them the hope of the virgin birth. To say this thing is meant to be a physical pressing back of the curse of of the fall. And you receiving this right now is my way of telling you that that virgin birth really happened. A woman named Sarah Groves a couple years ago She went and did a concert at uh, the United States Medical Center for Federal Prisoners. And one of the reasons she went in there is she did some research and she found that most of these women were serving a federal sentence for crimes that should have just been misdemeanors. And there was incredible injustice for some of these people who were stuck in there for decades when at best they should have been in there a year or two max. And she goes into these people, not knowing any of them at all, and just decides to do a Christmas concert. And if you listen to it, there are several moments in the concert where she turns off her guitar, and she just begins to sing these a Christmas hymns with these women whose lives have been condemned to stay behind bars, whether it be just or unjust. She said this, more than anything, I wanted to say something of encouragement, something to remind these women that they are the art of God, especially in this place where they have been so unjustly cast off from this world. Look, one of the things that the church has got to do is begin to sing joy to the world. The Lord has come to all the cast off things of this world. And to not just say it, but to take it to them. Look, it's if the blessed move into the lives that we are given is to fight against the curses of the plagues of so many people's lives, do you know what kind of hope that can give? If you will tangibly do something for somebody that screams the message of the virgin birth, because Christmas, it is power for our relationships, it is hope for our world, But thirdly and lastly, it's freedom for us to live in. Look, God being with us, it means that we have freedom to live in this world. Look in verse 21. When Matthew says this, she will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save people from their sins. Look, notice what the angel says to Joseph here. He says, His name will be Jesus. Now, two observations about that that are astounding. One, in every culture that has sort of transpired all cultures is the right and privilege of a parent to name their child. It's it's one of the greatest rights and things that we have in this world. I remember um, when Becky was pregnant with our first son, uh, I came home and, uh, in excitement and said, you know, hey, I've got some ideas for a name. And she just laughed at me. Um, like, you silly boy, I've been thinking about this for 20 years. Um, you will have no opinion on this whatsoever. <laughs> I mean, it, it's one of the most endearing things to be able to name a human being. And Joseph, his first child, the angel comes and says, you will not name him. What's even more astounding is this comes on the heels of a genealogy where you have fathers who begat sons and clearly named them all. But this son, this boy, the angel says, he will be named this. Now, what is that teaching? Its teaching is this. Look, this baby who's coming, you're not going to name him. He's going to name you. That you will not tell him who he will be in this world, but he will come into this world and tell you who you are and what your story will be. And what this baby will do is actually take away all of our rights. That what Christmas gives us is a baby who comes and tells us we do not have the freedom and right to live life how we want to live it. And this is supposed to be glad tidings with joy. But all of us hear this, and we essentially find that to be constraining, constrictive, and a reason that we would never want Christmas to be true. Look, almost all of us believe that if somebody moves into our life and tells us how we have to live, and tells us what our story will be, we think there's no possibility of finding joy that way. That if you come in and tell me what life is supposed to be like and how I'm supposed to be, that's the end of joy. I can't remember if I've told this story before, but it's so good. Um, When one of our children was very little, my wife had had enough And uh, she just looked at him and she said, do you know what it means to obey? And he just said, yeah, it means to be sad. (laughs) Look, in the garden, when Adam and Eve are there and the tree is sitting there, He says, did God really say you can't have that fruit? You know what he's saying to them? He's saying, if you obey, you'll be sad. And when Adam and Eve believed that, it's like that lie was shot into all of our arms and began to be true in all of our bloodstreams to the point that we all think, look, if we give ourselves fully to God, there's no way that's the route to joy. There's no way that's the route to freedom. And you know what? Like water on a duck, that can fall off in every single way. Look, some of you think that if you want to find happiness and joy, you've got to run from God. And you've got to find life in your own way. And you've got to believe that if He, if he commands life to be this way, that's the end of my happiness and joy. And if I really want to taste the richest part of life, I'm going to have to leave him. But other people believe that we have to do everything that God says. Everything he commands, absolutely. We've got to be here. We've got to believe it all. We've got to put it all in our life and keep it up all the single times. So but we think if he's ever going to have his joy and happiness, it's going to be pride out of his frustrated, closed hands. And the moment that I don't keep it up, and the moment I don't follow, and the moment I let down, he's going to hold it back and keep it away. And the problem with both kinds of people is that we just don't believe that God loves us. And we think if we give ourselves fully to him, it will never be with joy because we're, we're all like my little boy. Sure that if I open myself up to you, I'll be sad. And what's the solution to that? It's to think about Christmas. Because what Christmas is, is God moving into our lives and giving Himself fully to us. Not out of the, the threat of condemnation, but out of the invitation of joy. I love these lyrics. Mild he lays his glory by. Born that man no more may die. Born to raise the sons of earth. Born to give them second birth. Look, Christmas is a gift. And you know, there's a place in John's gospel where Jesus talks about his death And he says, for this reason, talking about my death, the Father loves me. Which which is an astounding statement because what Jesus is saying is, look, we had forever Trinitarian bliss before we ever made this world. But there there is a love and intimacy that Jesus is going to get by giving himself for us and doing all of this for us that he almost didn't have beforehand. And what Christmas is, is the wrapping of all of that for all of us. Do do, do you know that the power that you need for relationships and the hope for all of Los Angeles and the freedom for all of the things that you're wrestling with to find joy in life You don't have to do anything to get those. Those are a wrapped gift from God in this baby to all of us. And the way to receive it is just to see how much he fully gives of himself and then delights in you just receiving that. My friend uh, Ricky Jones is a minister in um, Tulsa, Oklahoma, he told this story one time that um, when he was in fourth grade, all of his older siblings were, were giving gifts to uh, his parents and each other, and he was sad because uh, he didn't have any money. He couldn't do that yet, so he felt terrible about it. So he sort of made that obvious to his, uh, his mother, and his mother sort of inquired about it, and he said, well, I just I want to be able to give a gift and she said, okay. Uh, and she began to pick up on the, uh, the problem that he had. That he had no money. He had no way of getting to the store. He actually didn't even know what she wanted. He didn't know how to do anything with a Christmas gift. So one day, um, she said, you know, those sticks out there in the front yard, somebody needs to pick them up. I'll pay somebody $10 if they'll do it. And even those were, those were his chores every week. He was like, I'll do it. So he runs out, gets the picks up the sticks, and she gives him the ten dollars. The next day she says, You know, I'm going to the store. Would you like to come with me? And he thinks this is my ride to the store, I can go. And he goes with her. And on the way, she said, You know, I've always wanted this little necklace that this store has. I sure hope somebody would get that for me this year. And of course, so he runs into the store, finds the necklace. It's $9, takes it to the counter and buys it, comes home, has no idea what to do with this necklace, so he gets a box that's like way too big, takes all the wrapping paper out, makes a huge mess, can't fix it. So his mom takes the box, wraps it, she puts it under the tree, and then comes Christmas Day, and here's a gift that she gave the money for that she bought, told him about, that she took into the store to buy, that she wrapped and put it under the, under the tree. And he said when she opened it, she began to cry. And to tell him, thank you. I love it. She had done everything. All he did was be willing to give it. Just a desire. All you need, all you need to get the power for Christmas is just that little desire. God knew you would not want it. He knew you would not want Him, but He gave Himself fully to you. How can you live with yourself if you don't give yourself fully to Him? That is Christmas. Let that move into your heart so it will move into your world. Let's pray. Our Father, look, this is not a spiritual activity where you meet us halfway. This is not a game where we uh, try to score enough points to earn your love. This is the power of your love shown by that baby in the manger. Lord, wherever we are today, I pray that it would move us, Lord, more into power for our relationships, more into hope for our city, and more into freedom to give ourselves fully for you. Lord, help us in this season. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. If you enjoyed this message, we invite you to subscribe to the RSS podcast feed. This will let you know when a new message has been posted. You can also look for us on YouTube, Facebook, or Instagram at Journey South Bay. Until next time, God bless.